Hello, everyone, and welcome to Solid Steps Radio. My name is Chad Russell. That is Kurt Souter. He is with Further Still Ministries and this show called Solid Steps. If you're listening to us for the very first time or if you're a return visitor, thank you for either one. We hope you come back and hear us. We are a show for men, by men, talking about stuff from a man's perspective. And we have always uh, believed on this show that men need to talk not just about sports, weather, and politics. We need to talk about the more important important things in life, the things that live for eternity and what it means to live out your destiny as a man. And we believe you're doing that fully if you are walking with the person, the greatest man ever of Jesus Christ. Now, that being said, we talk about all types of different topics on here, whether it's how to do better in business, how to do better in your home. But every now and then we say, you know what, let's zoom out here and look at a much bigger picture. Let's look at the landscape. And we are looking at a big landscape today because as we're taping this, depending on when you hear it, there is a war going on, which some people say it's the beginning of World War III. Some people say it's the beginning of the end. Who knows where we are, but we know this. There is a global conflict going on that everybody is keeping eyes on between Russia and the Ukraine. And so we have an opportunity today to have a, uh, a rose among thorns in today. <laughs> so yes, we do. <laughs> she's going to come in. We have a Ukrainian native born under the flag of USSR and then in high school, which we'll hear more about her story about how the uh, the country became a free country and a perspective on it that you're not going to hear on a 30 second soundbite. So Natasha, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's great to have you. You know, um, I have told people, you know, you know I'm, I have, we're having a special guest, you know, this week and normally we have guys and, but this time it's a lady and, but she's from Ukraine and yes, you are from Ukraine, but you really were born under the USSR. Talk to, talk to our listeners a little bit about your upbringing and a little history of your life. Well, I was born Natasha Smirnova. My father's last name is Smirnov. Out of all people, yes, it's quite <laughs> As fun. in the vodka Smirnov, right? Is that I close didn't enough? say that. Okay. You did. <laughs> so, but <laughs> yeah. This label has been owned by the French for 200 years. So, ah, yes, there you go. The, yeah, I can't do this. I can't pull it off. But I was born in in the Soviet Union. And when Soviet Union collapsed, I was a, a high schooler in the peninsula of Crimea. That is also a quite known entity nowadays. Everybody heard of it. So that was a part of Ukraine. Well, became part of Ukraine when Soviet Union collapsed. So those were very confusing times for teenagers, as I remember that. And we didn't know, like, what's, what's going to happen to us. Our teachers in school would say that it's better to be independent as an independent country. So we were cool with that, and we were excited to see what, what independence, uh, independence means for us. So it was, uh, I would say it was probably growing pains going from... Uh, communism and you know command economy into a free economy it was a more of a free fall economy with inflation and whatnot and poverty and crime but little by little we became an independent country and that's the country I left in 97 to come to Kentucky and uh, we'll talk about that in just a little bit, coming to Kentucky. But to talk to our listeners. Your parents still live in Crimea. Crimea. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's now a part of Russia. Yes. 
uh, talk to our listeners. Uh, really, this war that's been going on didn't happen just a, a, few, oh, no. we- a few weeks yeah. ago. Mm-hmm. G- give us a perspective okay. from a person who's from there. Okay, so when uh, Ukraine became independent, right, they elected their own presidents and um, democratically and, you know, every four years we'd elect a new one. And, and so they were okay, but one particular president um, was believed to be um, tied with Russia. And so when there was a time to uh, make some laws to associate Ukraine with the West, to provide a roadmap for Ukraine to enter European Union, not right away, but like in the future. And he pulled back from that. The people in Ukraine in 2014 took it to the streets and they got him out. So they ousted that president. And that was the beginning of the conflict at first and then full-blown war between Russia and Ukraine. So when people took uh, the matter in their own hands in 2014, November of 2013, actually, um, that's when the whole country went into this unrest. So the people in Russian-speaking parts of Ukraine, in Donetsk and Lugansk areas, they started saying that they don't like what's going on in the capital because it was a chaos. Yes, it was chaos when you get one president out and when you install a new president, the one that is more pro-West that would be willing to dissociate with Russia and move towards closer relationships with the West. So not everybody liked that. Lots of people wanted to be associated with Russia. So those areas, predominantly Russian-speaking, wanted to be associated, when I mean associated, be kind of sort of under soft influence, still be in Ukraine politically, but be influenced by Russian politics and Russian tendencies, I guess, influence. So those people didn't like where the rest of the country is headed. So they took up the arms or, you know, some dis- disagreement. And that's where the conflict in Lugansk and uh, Donetsk region started. Well, that was also the time when Sochi Olympics was happening and the whole world was watching it. Well, and very smooth and you know, very nicely orchestrated move, uh, Russia took Crimea during one week of Olympics. So what they did, they and conducted- that, w- yeah, that was what year? 2014. 2014. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they had a referendum and within a week, you know, very fast, very swift. So people voted or didn't vote, but it didn't matter because they sent their unmarked personnel, troops, and overnight it was taken over and ratified within like a weekend by Russian Federation that Crimea is now part of Russia. And what were the what were the rest of the Ukraine people? What were they thinking? Those that were not in agreement had literally 24 hours to pack up and leave because they didn't want to grow up, have their children grow up under Russian rule. All missionaries, all missionaries literally had to pack up overnight and leave their leave behind, you know, their houses, apartments, some long-time missionaries that I know personally, they just had to leave everything, all the property behind that they, you know, accumulated to build in 20 plus something years, you know, long-term missionaries. So all the Westerners, pulled out of Crimea literally within like two, 
two or three days time. Or those Ukrainians that did not want to live. Wow. Now, 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 fast forward a little bit from your perspective, mm-hmm. gro- growing up there, and the the Russians coming in and and bombing and all of that. What what's your perspective? And give us uh, kind of from your heart, what's going on? Well, it's hard to see because I've always been one of those Ukrainians that was more leaning towards the West, clearly, that's why I'm here. So um, I've always wanted to see Ukraine among, you know, independent countries not affiliated with the past, where what Soviet Union represents and contemporary Russia wants to be. So of course, to me, their desires and aspirations to be a free country, to decide their own fate, that all is uh, acceptable, you know, for me, and I want to see that. So when I see that it's being punished for those desires, essentially, that it doesn't want to be going along with Russian influence and Russian brotherhood, how they say it. So to see obliteration of my country mm. that I love is absolutely horrifying and heartbreaking. It's, it's got to be. It's got to be. We're going to take a break, and we're going to continue to unpack your story and how God is using you to to partner with churches and pastors and what God's doing over in Ukraine in the midst of this war. Mm-hmm. So we're going to take a break, and we're going to hear more about from the Ukrainian conflict from a Ukrainian's perspective and what God's doing over there in the middle of this conflict. So we'll be back and uh, look forward to hearing more on Solid Steps Radio. We want to thank our sponsors, LNN Credit Union. They've been around for decades, and they are a great asset to not only our city, but to you financially. If you need savings, checking, personal, commercial, you need some money, LNN Credit Union can help you with that. Vision First Eye Care. They've got locations all over the Kentuckiana area, and if you need help with your eyesight, whether it's contacts, glasses, or just overall, your vision, Vision First Eye Care will take care of you. And then Frank Enterprises, if you have any type of outside water issues like drainage, septic tanks, if you've got something going on and your water is not draining where it's supposed to be outside, Frank Enterprises can take care of you. So Natasha, you came to America, but we, we want to hear just you know real quickly your your conversion story to Jesus and then you connected to Kentucky Christian you know, University and, and then the ministry that God's called you to. Give us an update on that. Okay, so I went to a college in Crimea and I wasn't a Christian. My family was not a Christian, like nobody was a Christian. But after Soviet Union collapsed, obviously we were all searching for the truth and I found it in different, you know, new age religions and whatnot. So went to the college in Crimea that was associated with Kentucky Christian College in Grayson, Kentucky. So there was a group of students that was going for a semester abroad to study at KCC back then, now it's Kentucky Christian University. But back in the 90s, it was KCC. And so I really wanted to go. I just really loved the world. I wanted to experience another country. So I guess I was searching, but I wasn't a, you know, baptized believer. I didn't even attend church. I was searching. So I was talking to a missionary who was in charge of recommending students. So 
we just had that soul-to-soul conversation, and he just recommended at his own kind of, ex- well, not experience, but uh, his own reference, you know, that I would go along with the Christians, the five girls that went there that were members of the church and involved in the ministry and this and that, and me, an oddball, they took me too. So I don't know. We're going to bring this girl along. And <laughs> I don't know. I was like, okay, I'm going to go. So I came, and was I in a culture shock or what? Coming to rural Kentucky, eastern Kentucky, Grayson, Kentucky, Dry County, small rural college, where everybody spoke whatever language that is. <laughs> and, you know, shoes are required in the store. So I was, the first three months just were hard. Um, I think I was crying every day. But um, but it also was uh, given, it, it gave me um, a perspective of a Christian college kind of culture. You know, never attended that much church in my life you know, had chapel and this and that. So, but also it was the time where I started searching deeply what the Bible says and what Jesus says about himself. And so um, I came in August uh, of 97 and in March of 98, I decided to give my life to Jesus. And um, the president of Kentucky Christian uh, at the time, Dr. Keith Karan, baptized me and I came home that summer and witnessed to my mom and brought her to church. And my mom started going to church and was baptized a year later. Mm. Wow. Yeah. Very cool. Mm-hmm. Okay, so t- t- tell our listeners, not only did you were you born again, um, but God was calling you into ministry. Yes. So when I graduated from Kentucky Christian, I knew that I want to stay and uh, work in whatever capacity I could to um, to stay on the mission field. So I actually started working uh, for the Crimean American College, that college that um, I graduated from in Crimea, raising you know staff and professors, visiting professors and students and raising support. So, and then uh, s- slowly I switched ministries to um, work for Mulberry. But it's been since 99 that I picked my vacation to do the Lord's work, you know, in different capacities, starting with fundraising and speaking in churches, encouraging, and now leading a ministry in eastern Ukraine. So Mulberry, M-U-L-B-E-R-R-Y, mulberryinternational.org. You've been with them how long? Um, I've been with them... I don't want to say from the very beginning, but when they became uh, a five hundred one c three, you know, in um, early two thousand, um, I came on board and was um, development associate, you know, raising funds and speaking to churches and being the, you know, public relations person. But then in two thousand fifteen, I became the director, uh, which kind coincided with the beginning of that war, you know, in eastern Ukraine, um, eight years ago. And uh, that was a crucial time for our ministry because we were in Crimea and Crimea was taken over by Russia and U.S. put sanctions on Crimea so you cannot wire money, you cannot have an American presence in uh, that particular area because they had anti-evangelistic laws. And so that was a crucial time for our ministry to kind of regroup 
and to see, okay, we cannot continue our work in Crimea because we were working there with street children and um, and orphans. So I became a director and I saw that there is a, you know, Eastern Ukraine in flames and, uh, you know, hundreds upon thousands of displaced people running around asking for help. And um, I just, it was so hard, hard um, to watch uh, that tragedy unfold in Eastern Ukraine that I thought, well, maybe that is the door that God wants us to enter. So I went in 2015 with open eyes. My board said, go and may the Holy Spirit guide you and decide what we're going to do in Ukraine. So I traveled the country from one one side to another on trains. I, I slept too many nights on the trains that I ever cared. And um, I met with so many different ministries and I was just asking for the Holy Spirit to lay, you know, something on my heart where we would start. And it so happened that I met Pastor Victor mm. in uh, one of my meetings with a dozens of different ministries during that trip in early 2015. And Pastor Victor told me, he said, come to Mariupol and see what we do in there. I couldn't get to it because the trail, the railway road was destroyed by shelling back in 2014. So he said, well, come back later. They fix in the railroad. So I came back later a few months ago, uh, months later in 2015 in September. And I actually went down to Mariupol and met Pastor Victor, his church, and spoke to a bunch of uh, local church leaders and that's where the ministry of Mulberry in Mariupol began. And tell our listeners, you know, before before Russia really started invading big time, just mm -hmm. in the last few weeks, what were you primarily doing with Mulberry? So again, the war was already going on since yes. 2014, yes. but it was localized. It was in Donetsk and Lugansk region. So all the people that um, were living in that area and whose houses were destroyed by shelling by you know by active military action they had to flee somewhere so the um, more affluent people or had relatives or any means they would f um, they would um go to central ukraine western ukraine you know kiev and the capital whatnot but the people that had literally nothing the most marginalized the most at risk and uh poorest they fled to mariupol so Mariupol really um, has changed its population. You know, the more affluent one left and the, in its place came all these grandmothers, uh, single uh, mothers, um, mm. handicapped, you know, poor, all the people that ran from the conflict, they all settled there. And so that was a prime mission field to minister to these people. They had nothing and they had no help, no hope. And uh, the churches in that area, not just in Mariupol, but in villages around it, really, really took it, took it as a opportunity to, to do what they've been called to do. And and you were partnering with those pastors and with those churches to minister to them, not just spiritually. Uh, you wanted to share the gospel with them, but you, you the, the the opportunity was through food, through clothing, through the necessities of life. That, yes. Is that true? Yes, because, again, these people were hungry yes. and cold, and they needed a shelter. So 
that's why that that was the primary means of ministry to that's them. Awesome. That's awesome. So if you're listening, you're thinking this is there's a, this is very complicated. Ukraine is complicated. Eastern Europe is complicated. The world is complicated more than we want to think. And so we're going to talk more about okay, what's going on now? Like we've heard this history and. And Natasha said, how much time do you have? Because we, there's so much to talk about, but we want to hear about what's going on right now. She's got people who over there who she loves who are in the middle of a warfare. And we want to hear more about what's going on and what God is doing in the midst of all of this. So we're going to take a break. Be back shortly here on Solid Steps Radio. We want to thank our sponsors, though. Podloo.com. That's little podcast studios. If you want to do a podcast it looks great and sounds great. This is where we do ours and you should do yours here. It is incredibly affordable. If you want to do a podcast and you think I'd like to be able to do a podcast, you need to talk to podlu.com, P-O-D-L-O-U.com. Hadley Sign Solutions. Chris Hadley has been a, a partner for our show for a long time. He's an award-winning barbecuist, but also he does great sign work. If you have a commercial business or any type of industry uh, organization that needs commercial signs, uh, Hadley Sign Solutions who can take care of you. And then Bright Star Home Care. If you know anyone who needs to have in-home care, whether it's somebody who wants a week or 24-7 care, Bright Star Home Care, you probably know someone who is in that season of life or headed that way. They will take care of you for sure. Okay, no, Natasha, we've got you know what you were doing before, and then the war really, I mean, exploded in so many ways. And then your ministry, I mean, God's, but God's not limited. God, God is still on the throne in the midst of killing and atrocities and just horrible evil. Um, God is still at work. And you've been able to have a front seat in, in some ways and connections with people that God is using. Um, you mentioned a, a guy named Nikolai. Tell, talk to our listeners. Well, as a... Um said before that we were ministering and working together with local churches and local Christians. Those churches have been there for generations and they have a thing or two to teach us American Christians of how to minister and how to serve the Lord. So um, I want to mention Nikolai and uh, his life. So Nikolai is um, a young fella, young Christian brother um, that has uh, a wife and three teenage, well, two teenage sons, and the, the third son is um, younger. So he was working together with other Christian brothers in the city of Mariupol when it already was under siege. And uh, um, if you know, on March 1st, um, Russian troops took um, Mariupol under siege, and there was no uh, water, electricity, heat, cellular connection, everything was destroyed little by little. And by mid-March, the citizens, um, the population of the city were cut off from everything. So they had no water, no access to food. Lots of them were um, hunkering down in basements because most of their houses and in infrastructure was destroyed by shelling and bombs. So people were scared and, and hiding in, in, in basements and hiding places. So Nikolai and his brothers were delivering food and uh, water to those people on their own accord because that's what they want to do. They wanted to serve the Lord and serve the people. So 
On one of those trips, the car was shelled and all the guys were killed. So leaving behind their wives and their children. So they literally gave their lives for, um, for others. And that's just something that you, you don't see or hear happening uh, around us, how people would live out their Christian faith to the point of death. I mean, Nikolai could have easily taken his wife and his kids and said, we're bolting. Absolutely. Like but he said, no, we're going to stay here. We're going to share the gospel. We're going to provide food and, and water and necessities. And it cost him his life. Yes. And I'm sure there are other stories like that that I just don't know. This is just a personal connection that I, I know. But it is not common when I go to Mariupol and I see the faith of my brothers that serving the church and the people, how sacrificial their faith is. Uh, Chad, when you hear that story. Well, I, I, those stories aren't going to make it on the news. Right, that, that, that's just something that we don't hear because they want something that, that if it bleeds, it leads. And I hate to be so curt about it, but the reality of it is it's gotta be something really exciting and somebody going out to help people, you know, just give them water, food, just basic necessities and they were killed by Russian troops, is that correct? Mm -hmm. was, it, was it kind of friendly fire or were they, they were killed? They were, well, the, the shelling was happening. Yeah. So when you go out, do you know what risks you're taking? Right. So it's not just like they go in and, you know, stray bullet, you know, you're just in the wrong place in the wrong time. Right. No, that was a constant shelling, constant fire. They knew what they were doing. They went out anyway. Um, and it, the, they were his his biological brothers? Brothers in Christ. Okay, I didn't know if they, so how many yeah. of them were together? There were four of them. All four died at the, the same car. time? Yes, mm -hmm. I mean, it was probably exploded, the car. Natasha, you, you have another story, uh, a, a guy who was a director of the children's home, mm -hmm. uh, Ros Ruslan. 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 Mm -hmm. Share his story. So another example of people that could have evacuated very easily. Well, maybe, maybe not so easily because the humanitarian corridors were shelled. But if you really wanted, you would have tried and escaped the city. So uh, lots of people that I do know that stayed because they wanted to stay. They wanted to stay at a time like this, and they knew that God had put them for a reason. And one of those guys is Ruslan. Ruslan is the director of the children's home that we support, and that was located in Mariupol. And so all the children, about 35 of them, were evacuated as soon as they could out of that um, city and actually out of Ukraine. Now they are in Germany. But the director and his wife, they made the decisions to stay. They didn't want to evacuate with the children. They sent a few staff people and their families, but they stayed so that they could minister to those people that cannot leave that for some for some reason. So they were hunkering in the basement of the children's home, and about 75 people came from just the area: pregnant women, elderly, you know, some women with children, families. Uh, those that have lost their lives, um, lost their homes or livelihoods, so they had nothing to eat. So they were just sitting there in the basement with Ruslan. And then the um, shelling occurred and became that, that building became uninhabitable. So they all moved to the neighboring school basement and stayed there. Well, we don't have necessarily a lot of connections with Ruslan because cellular connections not there. So he makes a phone call about once a week 
five-minute call just to tell us that he's alive still. So between those phone calls, we wonder what happens, whether there's enough food or water for them to live on. So the last call he made, it was a 20-minute call. And he was able to actually give his testimony for the first time because in five minutes, usually you just, you know, give the basics, the vitals. So he was able to say that um, all the people that were there, you know, became a captive audience and he <laughs> had church twice a day. That's all he did. Tell them about Jesus. And people, because of the tragedy and the loss in the lives, you know, when you when you are faced with this extreme horrid circumstances, people are very receptive. So he reported 50 people out of those 75 accepted hey. Jesus in their hearts because of Ruslan's um, ministry to them in, in those basements. And he said, I'm not going to leave. Whatever happens to me, I'm staying here because this is where I should be. Wow. When you say that, I think of a couple of verses. The righteous are as bold as a lion, and I hear that in our brother. And also, um, for me to live as Christ, to die is gain. I mean, we in America sometimes forget that. And our brothers and sisters over there who are staying and ministering for the kingdom of God and for the glory of Jesus Christ and proclaiming the gospel, and they are willing to lay down their life for the cause of Christ. I love it. So was this a country in, in the next minute and a half of, of this segment is, uh, I'm curious and we could ask a lot of questions, but was this a culture that was already open to it prior to this war? Was it an open culture to have these types of conversations? Yes, um, as, opposed to, as opposed to Russia. And that's another reason where they differ. Russia has this affiliation with Soviet past very strongholds right. you know then there's orthodox church that is very prevalent and really connected with the state whereas ukraine has uh, uh, always been free in terms of religious outlook and so there's a lot of churches that indigenous churches that are there that have survived in uh, soviet union and persecution and been underground churches and they know and they could share so many stories that you know when you hear about like uh church in communist china something like that so these churches know how to minister they've done it for dozens and dozens of years so these christians most of the time a second or third generation christian but ruslan is not he actually comes from a non-believing family but he was saved at uh, i think he was a college student actually later in life but again it it doesn't matter that the the, the lord called him and changed his heart and he, he was supposed to be a commercial pilot and he turned out to be uh you know minister of uh jesus in the basement of the school converting <laughs> people to christ that's awesome that is powerful well, we're going to take a break come back for a fourth and final segment to hear more about what god's doing in the ukraine here on solid steps radio I want to thank our sponsors, Veritech Generator. If you have a generator need or you have one that needs to be serviced for your commercial or your home, Veritech Generator can take care of you on that. Dan Hart Financial, if you need to look at your retirement and see what that means as far as uh, what's a biblically wise retirement look like, Dan Hart can take care of you in there. And then Iroquois Family Dental, Dr. Eric Veal and his crew will take care of your teeth if you're looking for a great place to go that you feel comfortable with 
in regards to the health of your teeth, Eric Villa will take care of you for sure. So, Natasha, uh, you've been a part of mulberryinternational.org. I want to have our listeners go there because there's some information there. There's some videos there, uh, what your ministry is doing in Ukraine and, and beyond. And um, But one of the things you, you told me yesterday was uh, Pastor Victor. One of you, uh, uh, one of your pastors that you partner with. Tell, mm-hmm. Talk to us about Pastor Victor. Well, Pastor Victor is the eighty-year-old man that has dedicated his life to serving the Lord through Soviet Union persecution and and whatnot. He actually was born when the World War II started, and he has a very interesting story. Um, but he was a Jewish boy that was supposed to be taken by Nazis to concentration camp, and a local Ukrainian family took him. He was three years old, and they said, it's one of ours. So he is a Jewish boy that grew up with a Ukrainian uh, believing family, and the Lord has has done so much through his life. He would share stories with me about how he would print the Bible during the heart of the Soviet times, the darkest of persecution, where he would uh, carry in his uh, suitcase, uh, briefcase, that pieces of the printer, uh, printing press, whatever. And he would uh, go to the brothers' houses, you know, Christian brothers' houses, and uh, disassemble the printer and print the Bible, portion of the Bible, then again disassemble it and move on to the next house. And how one day he was able to do that. And he was so proud of himself that he went unnoticed and there was no KGB uh, following him, that he really did a very swift and smooth operation. So he was going back to his home and getting on a train, uh, feeling all accomplished. And he would tell me that in his thoughts, he was giving himself high fives and praising himself for how well he did, um, you know, that, that illegal operation. And as soon as that thought popped in his head, a man in black entered the train and approached him and took him to the KGB. So he was imprisoned for what he's done, you know, thankfully it wasn't too long. But in his prison cell, he got on his knees and and pleaded with the Lord asking for forgiveness that he took. Whatever the Lord arranged and ordained for him to be safe and to do the Lord's work, that he took it as his own, as his own accomplishment. And people like Victor and that that pattern of thoughts that um that that view of god and what and how god is governing their heart their hearts and their actions it's very different from what we experience here in affluent society where people rely on god's providence wisdom literally next steps um, and that is very encouraging for us to see inspiring for us to see that, that type of faith. Right now, Victor could have evacuated. He's 80 plus something old. He is cleared to leave the country of Ukraine because if you are a man between 18 and 60, you're supposed to stay and enlist to fight, mandatory. But he could leave. He could live with his wife who is a, a diabetic and uh, Alzheimer patient who has sores on her feet, bleeding because of untreated diabetes. He could pick her up and go to 
a safe place in Germany or somewhere else where his needs would be taken care of. But he chooses to stay in Western Ukraine and be the pastor for all these people coming and going, leaving, uh, evacuating, but coming with um, lost, you know, homes, loved ones, crushed dreams, crushed lives, hopeless, scared, and without the faith. And he is there to share that faith with them and to minister to them. Although, you know, he chooses, he chooses to do the, to do that, just like Ruslan, just like Nikolai and countless other brothers and sisters in Christ that we have in Ukraine. When Jesus said, do not store up treasures on earth, but store up treasures in heaven. I mean, that's, you, you are describing, the, the, these folks are storing up treasures in heaven. They truly, they truly do, and they and they teach us with their example of what, how they live their lives, what they deem important, what they hold on to. They teach us um, the importance of that treasure. Natasha, how how can we as Christians who are listening to this, what can we do to partner with MulberryInternational.org, partner with you, and what can we do? on behalf of our brothers and sisters in Ukraine right now? Well, I would say that when I was talking to uh, our friends and partners in Mariupol, when, um, they were cut off all the supplies, and I would ask, what can I do? How can I help you? I cannot bring you food. I cannot bring you water. What can I do? They would always say, just pray. Just pray that the Lord would provide miraculously because they've seen it. They've seen miracles, uh, everyday miracles, when mortars don't explode, when tanks run out of fuel, when um, uh, a fighter misses, the bullet misses, or the stamina somehow is there after a week of hunger and thirst. So they know that God is working through their lives to accomplish His purposes. So we know that prayers work. We don't see it in the fluent society here, but it works here and in Ukraine. And God is the same here and in Ukraine. And our life is as dependent on God here as in Ukraine. Yes, we might not have bullets flying out over our heads and we have food in the refrigerator, but we're not guaranteed the next day, just like our brothers and sisters do not have that assurance in Ukraine. Mm. It's just a good perspective to really think that we need to rely on, uh, on God for every single breath that we have because we don't know when that moment comes when uh, we would be giving the report on our lives in front of Jesus. We will stand before the Lord. Natasha, thank you so much for coming. I, I know you have so much more to share, and it, I, I, but our, our time is up. But I would ask you, would you play, please pray for the people of Ukraine and pray for us that we would have a biblical response, that we would pray and that we would give. Would you pray? Yes. Thank you, Jesus, so much for this opportunity to share um, the plight and uh, the faith and the testimony of um, our brothers and sisters in Ukraine, the ones that given their lives for you, Lord, to serve others for no greater love has this person who p puts his life down for 
the others. And that is the story of our friends in Ukraine, of fellow Christians in Ukraine. And I pray, Lord, that you would um, put the same passion for others and the same love for others in the hearts of American Christians, that they would be moved and challenged to step outside of their comfort zone and their affluent lives, that we all live affluent lives here in America compared to the rest of the world, that they would um, ask you, Lord, what you want them to do, whether it's to give, whether it's to show kindness to someone, and of course to pray, to pray for um, for our uh, brothers and sisters in Ukraine, but also to pray that your will will be done here in their lives, that they would ask you, what do you uh, want from them, Lord? How do you want their lives to be spent on this earth? What difference and what impact could they make in the lives of others? Give them that perspective and encourage them. And Lord, uh, just help us all to really, really remember what is important in this life and where our treasure is. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 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 Thanks, Natasha. Thank you. So you heard a story today that maybe you would not have, you wouldn't be able to hear that on the news, Fox News, CNN. You're not going to hear that. You're going to hear, you know, president's name and you're going to hear general's names, but you don't want to hear the names of the people who get into a car knowing they're driving into the problem and knowing they're going to give their life for it. So those men knew why they were living and who they were living for. So my question to you is, do you know why and who you're living for? And if you do not know, then you need to look in Jesus's direction because he is the way, the truth, and the life. And you cannot come to the Father except by him, but you don't have life outside of Jesus, but you do have nothing but life in him. So we pray that you will start following Jesus if you're not already. Thank you for listening to Solid Steps Radio.